Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe this message will encourage you, it will inspire you, and it'll help you live the supernatural lifestyle of faith. We want you to live this supernatural lifestyle of faith, not have supernatural moments, but have it as a lifestyle. So we put all of this content out for you to receive so you can grow and live the life that Jesus made available for you. To find more information about our ministry and our resources, you can visit us at FCCGA.com or you can download our Faith Plus app. Our Faith Plus app has thousands of hours of faith building content and it's available in your app store right now. Open your heart. God's going to share something special to you through this message. Psalm 84. We're going to look at verse 11. Not sure how far I'll get in this message today, but I'll open it up. Remember, the Lord told us to focus on his extreme goodness this year. When, we sh when the Lord spoke to me about this last year and I shared with you, he said that 2023 will be a year of contradiction. And he says, here's the contradiction. That in the midst of of the depravity of man and the lack of man, we would experience the provision and the goodness of God. And so he told us to focus on his goodness. And over the last week or so, there's been a certain phrase stirring in my heart, and I spent time this weekend and before praying it out, getting some more clarity on it. And I believe God will give some more clarity about it in this message. But there are waves of grace, glory, and goodness heading your way. There are waves of grace, goodness, and glory heading your way. And as I was praying it out some more, he said, I just had this sense in my heart that God is about to make some waves in your life. God is about to make some waves in your life. And there are waves of grace, goodness, and glory heading your way. So today, we're going to talk about the grace of his goodness. The grace of of his goodness. Psalm 84 verse 11 says, for the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Notice that. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. James 4 6 says that God gives more grace. You all see that in Proverbs. He gives more grace. So God gives grace, and he's known as the God of grace. He gives grace, he gives glory, he gives more grace. And so how many know that you're a recipient of the grace of God? Now, the grace of God has 21 different definitions. 21. And so to know what definition is referring to, you have to read it in context. So before we get into the context of the different grace that's available to you today, I have some questions for you. And for you online, this is not the point of you online, so I'm going to let the people in the room answer the questions. I want you to put it in the chat, too. My question to you today is, where is the grace of God? Where is it? Where? I saw someone in the side, inside of us. Ding, ding, ding. That's one. Where's another place? Where is the grace? Around us. Correct. Ding, ding, ding. That's number two. I'm looking for one more answer. He said, in his word, that's true. He said, in his presence, that's true. But I'm looking for another, a third one that applies to you. It's on us. God's grace is within us. It's upon us. And it's around us. Have you ever noticed how uh, some of the apostles ended their letters 
It's kind of like very Star Wars-esque. May the force be with you. They say, may the grace be with you. And so today we're going to focus on the aspects of grace that deal with the anointing, the gift and the abilities that God has given you, and the favor of God. This also is connected to the strength God has given you. And so let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 4 and 5, starting here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, looking at the definitions of grace that connect to the anointing, the ability, the strength and power of God, his giftings, and his strength. Because as I said, grace has 21 different definitions. Just in the New Testament alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, notice what Paul says here. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. So who gave the Corinthians grace? Jesus. Did they receive that grace? Yes. Now, what did they do with that grace? Because, you know, some people can receive it and not use it. You see, Paul's talking about don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't frustrate the grace of God. Don't receive the grace and don't do anything with it. What did the Corinthians do? That you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. And so one of the things you see here and see other places that they received the grace of God. Specifically, when you'll see the letters to the Corinthians, they received the grace concerning the gifts of the Holy Ghost, the gifts of the Spirit. They received it and then it says they were enriched. They didn't just receive it and say, well, I got a gift. No, they grew in it. I said they grew in it. To the point Paul says you are enriched in all utterance and all knowledge. He's describing gifts of the Spirit. There are utterance gifts. There are revelation gifts. There are power gifts. And Paul tells them here in other places that you guys are enriched in the gifts. You know, 2 Peter 3.18, he closes his epistle saying, Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. You are to grow in grace. You are to grow in the grace you've received on the inside. You are to grow in the grace that is upon you, and you are to grow in the grace that is around you. Whatever level of grace you receive, it is not supposed to stay at that same level you're supposed to grow. Say, I'm supposed to grow. Why? God gives more grace, and you're supposed to grow in every grace he gives. One of the things you'll find out that if you dived in the Word of God and dived into your heart to see what God has said to you about you, you realize you have multiple graces within you. Multiple graces upon you. And what happens as, you, as we come together as a faith family, as we do things together, what's on me gets on you. And what's on you gets on him. And what's on you gets on her. And what's on her gets on you. What happens? Our graces come together because we are partnered in what God has called us to do. And whatever grace is on you, you have to grow in. And you can't say, oh, God, grow the grace on me. No, 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 that is your job. Think about this. I don't think teenage LeBron James prayed this way. God, grow my basketball gift. 
That's not what he did. What do you do? He went and practiced and practiced and practice, and practice, and practice. I'm sure Steph Curry did not pray, Lord, grow my shooting gift. What he did? He practiced. He grew the gift God gave him. Are you growing the giftings God has given you? Oh, it'll get better over time? No. It can decrease over time. Time does not increase your gift. What you do over time will determine if your gift increases. Are you being a good steward of the grace of God that's within you, that's upon you, and that's with you? The church of Corinth had many issues, but at least they were enriching and growing in the grace God had given them. Notice what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. And Timothy's going through a lot at this point. And he says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in. Well, if you can be strong in something, you can be weak in something. Are you strong in the grace? Or are you weak in the grace? You know, that whole phrase, be strong, from the Greek in dunamu, was when that phrase was used in Greek mythological writing, it talks about individuals like Hercules and others who were strengthened by the gods to do supernatural feat. So every time that word is used, it's letting you know that there is some supernatural power that's available to you. But are you tapping into it? Because to use another example, I can use my phone all day long, but eventually the power is going to run out. And if I don't plug it in, all it is is a paperweight. But you know what? I can plug it in for just a couple minutes and get a quick charge. And so many of us have settled for a Christianity of a quick charge. I just got to come to church. I got to get my fix. I got to get that word. I got to get my fix. But you don't get any other charge until next Sunday if you show up. What would it look like if you were full? What would it look like if you were overflowing? What would it look like if you were to grow in the grace? To grow the grace that's inside of you. To grow the grace that's upon you. To grow the grace that's around you. What would it look like if you went to another level? Because like he's told the prophet in the Old Testament, there's waters up to the ankle, there's waters to the knees, there's water to the waist, and there's waters to swim in. So many times as believers, we get excited about kiddie pool level grace. Kiddie pool level anointing. What is that? Those little plastic pools and you fill up the water about to the ankles. You get excited. You splash it around. Oh, this is good. But that's not the ocean. God's got an ocean for you, but you settle for the kiddie pool. He's got an ocean for you to experience and an ocean to work through you, but you settled for kiddie pool Christianity. When there's more for you. Say, there's more for me. God wants you to grow in the grace that's in you, upon you, with you, and be strong in that grace. So let's go back to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And as I've taught you before that, you know, if... Whenever I do a series on Church of Corinth, I'm, probably, I'm thinking about calling it Church Gone Wild because they really went wild. And it took Paul 
six chapters to correct them. He does a really good, nice intro for the good five, six verses, and then he starts correcting in chapter one, and chapter two, and chapter three, and chapter four, and chapter five, and chapter six, and then top of chapter seven. Okay, you wrote me about this, so let me answer your questions now. And then he gets back to correcting by the time you hit to chapter 11. And so chapter 12, he's explaining about the gifts of the Spirit. And he provides a lot of clarity and context on the gifts in chapter 12, 13, and 14. So let's start with chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. Now, if you're looking in a physical Bible or in an app that shows you it's italicized, you know that the gifts is italicized. So it's now saying things relating to the Spirit. So that includes gifts and graces and anointings and offices and manifestations and operations of the Holy Ghost. So it's more than just what we call the nine gifts of the Spirit. It's more than just what we call the five ministry gifts, called the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You can also say there's a sixth one, the ministry of helps. So he's talking about all these things relating to the Spirit. He says, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed. You know that when you were Gentiles, you were carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking about the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. They had so many gifts working, but because there was strife and division, craziness came in. And they weren't able to see, well, is this the Holy Ghost operating? Or is this some other spirit operating? So Paul just put it very clear. They could be operating under something, but if they don't say, if they say Jesus is a curse, that ain't Jesus. That ain't the Holy Ghost. Reject that. And so he goes on further and says, there are diversities or differences of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities or differences of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And now he's about to describe these manifestations of the gifts, but notice they're given to us so that we all profit or we all get better together. So what he's saying, the operation of my gift should make you better. The operation of your gift should make other people better. That when we operate in our giftings, we shouldn't be the only ones who benefit. We as the body should benefit. So that means if I grow in grace, it benefits you. If you grow in grace, it benefits them. If they grow in grace, it benefits y'all. Us growing in grace and becoming stronger in grace has a community-wide impact. Then he describes, he lists these gifts. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. What is the word of wisdom? It's God's insight concerning the future. God's insight and plan concerning the future. All of these gifts are supernatural because some people want to whittle them down to just natural gift. Oh, they're the word of wisdom. They're just really smart. No, 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 no. There's a place for natural wisdom. There's a place for natural knowledge and understanding. The Bible talks a lot about that. But this is not natural wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. It is a word of wisdom. Just like a word is a part of a sentence, this is a part of God's plan and understanding concerning the future. And to another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. That is a part of God's knowledge concerning the past, or the present. It's not all of God's knowledge concerning the past or the present, but it's a part of God's knowledge concerning the past or the present. 
to another faith by the same Spirit. Now, we know this, you could say this is special faith. This is not the faith that comes from hearing the Word of God. Because this faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. This is not the faith that comes when you get saved and God puts faith in your heart. This is a different type of faith that is given by the Holy Ghost. That when it's in operation, it's impossible to doubt. To another, the gifts of healings by the same Spirit. Notice here, when it talks about the gift, this word for gifts of healing is plural. So that means there's several gifts of healing. And he said, oh, you must be talking about doctors and nurses. No, thank God for anointed doctors and nurses, but they don't have the gifts of healing unless the Holy Ghost operates that way. These are supernatural manifestations that bring healing. And one of the reasons you see it's plural is whenever you study healing ministries like I have, there's some people who are just, they're just anointed to get eyes opened. Some are anointed to get ears open. Some are anointed to fix backs or legs. Some are anointed to yank people out of wheelchairs. There are different gifts of healings. To another, the working of miracles. This outflow of miraculous power. To another, prophecy. Now, prophecy does not always mean foretelling the future. 1 Corinthians 14 gives us insight about prophecy. It is a supernatural message in a known tongue that encourages, builds up, and comforts. It doesn't always have to tell the future, but it is a supernatural message from God that will encourage, that will build up, and that will comfort. To another, the discerning of spirits. No, it doesn't say the gift of discernment. Oh, I just felt someone's right about that person. That is not a gift. Well, I think something's going on in their life. You're suspicious. That's not a gift of the Holy Ghost because if it was a gift of God, let's turn that gift back on you and you would shut that gift off real quick. The word discern means to see into. And so this gift gives you the operation to see into the spirit realm because there is a spirit realm all around you that you may not see and may not be aware of. But when the operation of the discerning of spirits is operating, this realm is pulled back and maybe you'll see angels or demons, the similitude of God, or things that are going on in the spirit realm all around you. That only operates as the Holy Ghost opens that door for you. To another different or diverse kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. Diverse tongues, this is a supernatural message in an unknown language. Interpretation of tongues is interpreting the tongues into a known language. This is not the gift of the personal prayer language of speaking in other tongues. That's a personal prayer language. When you read Corinthians and other places, you see there are different operations of the diversity of tongues. You see where they're giving a message and interpreting the message back into the known language. But also, you know, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost was poured out, notice it didn't say that the believers spoke in other tongues. It said the crowds heard them speak in their language. Oh, y'all staring at me. Go to Acts chapter 2. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts 
Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And as they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and Croselites, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they're all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Now think about this. There's 120 people in that upper room. And they all began to be filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. If 120 people start speaking in any language, how many know it's going to be hard to hear what they're saying? If just everybody in this room, even if start talking about different things in English, most people would have no idea what we're saying, much less people outside. So now there are thousands of people gather outside, and each one of them heard clearly the wonderful works of God in their own language, where they understood it, the operation of the diversity of tongues. Now, there are times when you're giving a message in tongues that you will tap into another natural known language. There's tongues of angels, it says in 1 Corinthians 13. But there are times when you're praying in tongues where it's not just your personal prayer language that God gave you, but you'll tap into other languages. There have been times when I've been praying in tongues, even from the pulpit, just praying, and someone comes up to me afterwards and says, hey, you, you spoke this language that I speak. And I said, well, what did I say? Because I don't know it. And they say, you were saying this and you were saying that. The operation of the diversity of tongues. Now I say, oh, you can't pray in tongues unless you interpret. The Bible doesn't say that. What does the Bible talk about when you give a diversity of tongues as a message to others, interpret it. And if you, don't, you can't interpret it, or you don't have an interpreter, sit down and just pray to yourself. That's what the Bible says. That's talking about the operations of the gifts of the Spirit, operations of the grace of God. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. There's a lot of things about graces and abilities and things God gives us that we can use whenever we want. We choose. When it concerns the gifts of the Spirit, it happens as the Holy Ghost wants. I can't step up here and say, well, today I'm going to use the word of knowledge. Well, I can't use that unless He says so, unless He begins to move that way. These gifts work as the Holy Spirit wants them to. Now, good news, he's more willing than we are. So we just have to position ourselves to say, okay, well, what do you want to do today? Now, one of the things we see here at Faith on a regular basis, we see word of knowledge, God's information about the past or present operate normally, and the gifts of healing. That's very normal. What also we see are tongues and interpretation of tongues and prophecy. And that's pretty good. That's about half. But how many know... Well, at least I don't know how many know, but I want all nine. It's good that we got more than one. That's pretty good. But I want all nine. But all nine happen as 1 Corinthians 14, 1 is done. Paul says, pursue love and desire. That's the word also for covet spiritual gifts. 
but especially that ye may prophesy. The difference of having just a few gifts operate to all nine gifts is how much do you want it? Not how much do I want it. How much do you want it? Because no, Paul is not talking to the preacher here. He says, preacher, covet spiritual gifts. Come on, pastor, want the gifts of the Spirit. No, he's telling a whole church, desire the gifts, covet the gifts. So what happens when you have the majority of the congregation wanting the gifts of the Spirit? The gifts increase. The grace increases. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You got to desire it. You got to want it. I compare it to a time, so like a couple years ago when I started my fitness journey, I said, you know what, for a couple months, I'm not having any french fries. <laughs> and some of my favorite french fries are the ones from Chick-fil-A. And so when I made that decision, it's like every time I drove by Chick-fil-A, it seemed like it was calling me. It wasn't saying, eat more chicken, it was like, come and get some fries. And at the same time, I said, no queso. So now I'm going by my favorite Tex-Mex places. Don't you want some queso? My body was desiring that food. Anytime you make the decision, well, I'm not going to eat this for a while, your body desires that food. In the same way, you must position your spirit and your mind to desire the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Because it says as we all operate in them, we all get better together. Now, the gifts of the Spirit aren't just reserved for when we gather. There are some gifts that are reserved for the body of believers, especially where it concerns diversity of tongues, interpretation of tongues. Those are reserved usually for the body of believers. But all these other gifts are supposed to operate through you as you live. Because there's desire that, every, that everyone prophesies. That means every single believer can operate in the gift of prophecy. And at times when the gift of prophecy calls for it, the word of knowledge will op operate with that. You see that later in 1 Corinthians 14. So that means every single one of you can prophesy. Say, I can prophesy. Come on, say it again. Say, I can prophesy. Now, just because you can prophesy, it does not make you a prophet. So don't say, well, pastor said we all prophets. No, I did not. Don't you put that title on your Facebook. God wants all of us to prophesy. God wants all of us to speak supernatural messages that encourage, that build up, and comfort. Said, so, oh, I want to be used in prophecy more often. Spend more time in prayer and be an encourager. Be an encourager. When you read the book of Acts, when the prophets showed up, they says they were encouraging people. So if you want to use, be used in prophecy more, just encourage people. Look into your heart. God, what can I tell them to encourage them today? And then you'll see as you just encourage them, the gift will start working. And you'll just feel led to say certain things. Now just, here's a pro tip. When you're being used this way, when God stops talking, you stop talking. Because what happens, we get so excited. Oh, Jesus is talking through me. Oh, look, it's working. They smiled. Oh, they're crying. Oh my gosh, he's using me. And we get so excited and we start saying stuff Jesus didn't say. When he stops, you stop. So what should I do next? Now it's awkward. Just pray for them. If they're not saved, get them saved. Oh, pastor, I don't know how to pray that long prayer. Just tell them to call in the name of Jesus. Say, please forgive me for what I've done. And he says, I don't know what to say next. Just come to church with me on Sunday. Simple as that. 
God wants to use you in these gifts outside of Sunday. Because you're anointed outside of Sunday. The grace of God is still in you outside of Sunday. The grace of God is still with you outside of Sunday. The grace of God is still upon you outside of Sunday. Let's look more about this grace. Chapter 8, verse 1. So by the time you get to 2 Corinthians, the church of Corinth has fixed a lot of problems. They went to kind of extreme in one of the ways of fixing it, so Paul's bringing balance to the force. And as he's talking with them, he gets to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and he says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Because Corinth is in one part of Greece, and Macedonia is the other part of Greece. That in a great trial of affliction, talking about the church of Philippi specifically, and the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So remember, the churches of Macedonia, the headquarters church is the church at Philippi that was started after the supernatural earthquake hit the jail and set Paul and Silas free. Anybody remember that story from the book of Acts? So you have to remember that outside of Lydia, the businesswoman who was saved around that same time, the membership of that congregation wasn't a prosperous membership. You had one person who joined the church who was a younger girl who was possessed by a spirit of divination that Paul cast out. And once she, she got free, she lost her job. And what happened? The people who owned her and owned that business turned the whole city against Paul and Silas and had them beaten and stripped and thrown in jail. That's not the best way you would think to start a church. You know, we want to start church plants and start churches all around the southeast. That's usually not the way we would pick to start a church, right? And so they're in the jail in maximum security, and instead of going, woe is me, if anybody had a right to sing, woe is me, as Paul and Silas, they're beaten, they're bleeding, they're hung in stocks, and yet they pray and sing praises to God to such an extent the whole prison herds them, and at midnight, God sends an earthquake. And it says it's a supernatural earthquake because all the doors fly open and all the chains come loose. And here's another supernatural part. No other prisoner move. Don't look at me like that. Look, if every other jail door open, everybody says, we're out, peace out, we're gone. Everybody froze. The jailer, the person over the prison, was about to kill himself because he woke up at the earthquake and he thinks everybody is gone. If I don't kill myself, the Romans didn't kill me. And Paul cries out, don't hurt yourself, we're all here. Supernatural. Now, you know, Paul and Silas have a captive audience because they all know the earthquake came because of them. And so we know the jailer gets saved, him and his house. And I'm sure many of the prisoners do. But that is the beginning of the church at Philippi. And remember, they, although the government treated Paul and Silas wrong and they released them, they're now afraid of them because they beat Roman citizens without a cause, which was illegal to do in the Roman Empire. So you know, even after Paul and Silas leave, because they're pushing them out nicely now out of the city, they're not that friendly towards those who remain. It's the great affliction or the great pressure of circumstance. And now all these people, all they're joining the church, most of them don't have jobs. They don't have anything. And Paul says their condition is deep poverty. 
This is the situation they're in. This is what's going on, but he says God poured grace on them. So when Paul and Silas were among them, again, they begged Paul to take an offering from them to help the saints in Jerusalem who were suffering. Now, the fact that they had to beg it, it lets me kind of know that Paul didn't ask them. Because Paul's like, well, y'all bad, y'all, y'all going through, so I'm not going to mention it. I'm just going to encourage you guys and keep moving. But they begged Paul. This is with much entreaty. They kept begging to Paul relented, fine, we'll receive an offering from you. But that offering was bigger than he expected. And he's, now Paul's writing the church of Corinth and says, if the Philippians and the Macedonians can do this, if they could excel in the grace of giving, what about you? Now, the reason he's writing to the Corinthians about this is because when they heard a year before about what was going on in Jerusalem, they started talking big and bad. It's like, oh, man, we're going to give the biggest offering. We're going to do this. They're talking about, and they talk in such a way, it stirs up all the other churches. Oh, if Corinth is going to give big, we're going to give big. The people in Macedonia heard him. That's what encouraged them to give the way they did. But guess what? They talked about it. They just weren't about it. They had, a, it's been a year, and they sent nothing, nilch, zero. So Paul said, I want you to excel in this grace also. Notice what it says next. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. So he said, we're sending Titus to preach to you and teach to you about the grace of giving. This is what Titus is going to talk about until we get there. So if we're delayed, it's going to be a very long series. Every time Titus opened his mouth to preach to the Corinthians, he talked about the grace of giving. Could you imagine if CNN and Fox News existed back then? All that preacher wants is their money. All he talks about is them giving their money. That's all Titus preached about until Paul arrived. Notice what Paul says next. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech or utterance, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. When he's talking about faith and utterance and knowledge, he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. So now this church of Corinth went from being enriched in the gifts to now they are abounding in the gifts. That word abound means overflowing. They went from being enriched in the gifts to overflowing in the gifts. And now Paul even gives them compliments. You overflow in all diligence. Because remember, they weren't doing everything they were supposed to before. But now Paul says, you're overflowing in it. And you're also overflowing in your love for us. So I want you to overflow in this grace also, this grace of giving. I speak not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. So, you know, a lot of people have a problem thinking that Jesus was broke. The only time it says Jesus was ever broke was here. You can't just think he was just a broke hippie living in the wilderness all his days. <laughs> Jesus had a job. Are you meaning to tell me that your Lord and Messiah was so bad with money that he couldn't manage the money he brought in from his job? 
That's what you're saying when you say that. When he was born, yes, Mary and Joseph offered the gift for the people who didn't have a lot of money. Do you know why? They just paid their taxes. Christmas story, it's tax time. They just paid their taxes. And now they have to go back home, because they're not even where they live, to the house they're supposed to be in. And not too long after they get home, within a year or two, there's these dudes from the East who show with gold, frankincense, myrrh, and other gifts and treasures. They opened up their storehouses, they opened up their treasures. And there wasn't just three, we like to think, oh, three magi. It doesn't say three magi, it lists three gifts specifically. Now, if three dudes showed up in a camel and walked through the city, it would not cause a whole city to be moved. It says all of Jerusalem was moved when the Magi showed up. Why? Because the wealth they would bring needed armed guards. So if three guys showed up, doesn't move. Now, if there are several guys with an army, the city is moved. Now, one of the reasons why Herod was so afraid and Jerusalem was so moved because not too much longer before, the Magi, who came from the Parthian Empire, had ransacked Jerusalem and made Herod run away to Rome and get Rome's help. So he's running, wondering, is this about to happen again? Why are you here? And they said, we're here because the new king has been born. One of the things about the Magi, they were known as kingmakers. And so whenever there was a new king born or announced, they would bring gifts that were related to who the king would be and what he would do. So you tell me that Jesus was broke. Because for the next few years, they're running for their lives, and Joseph doesn't have time to work because they're running all through Egypt, up and down through Egypt. And traveling today is still difficult, but traveling back then was extremely difficult and extremely expensive. Yet they had more than enough to go everywhere they went. And then Joseph was a carpenter. Oh, he was good, you know, working and building a little barn. No, that word carpenter means he was a artisan. He was a craftsman. They lived in Nazareth, but there's a, a city of Sephora on the hill that had recently been destroyed by war, and so they took craftsmen of Nazareth to rebuild that city. And so that's what Joseph did. Now remember, they must have been pretty good at it because when Jesus stood up to preach, they said, isn't that that carpenter? Now, if you're just a poor little carpenter that doesn't build much, no one's going to know you're the carpenter. They said, isn't that the carpenter? He must have done pretty good. So you can't say that Jesus was broke unless you want to ignore history and the Bible. So the question is, well, when did he become poor? I would submit to you, he became poor on the cross. He gave up everything for us. Everything. He gave up everything and took on us took on upon himself the curse, all sin, all iniquity, all sickness for us. Say, for me. And so now Paul references that, that he became poor so that we might become rich. So even if you want to ignore everything I said for the last five minutes about why Jesus wasn't financially broke, if you want to say that he was broke, well, then he became broke so that you might be rich. You can't argue against that. Jesus does not want you to be broke either. He does not want you to be broke. Some of you just looking away. I said, Jesus 
does not want me to be broke. Okay, let me test some of religious people real quick. Say it with me. Say, Jesus wants me to be rich. Okay, let me mess with the people online. Go ahead, put them in the chat. Say, Jesus wants me to be rich. Well, what does the word rich mean? Having a full supply. Jesus wants you to have a full supply. So even if inflation gets worse, you still have a full supply. Even if gas keeps going up, you still have a full supply. Even if industry's shaking, they don't make the right deal in Hollywood, you still have a full supply. Jesus wants you to have a full supply. And Paul called that grace. Notice what he says next. He wants them to overflow in this grace. In verse 10, and in this I give it advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also must be a completion out of what you have. For if there is a first a willing mind is accepted according to what one has, not according to what it does not have. Go to 2 Corinthians 9. So he says, I'm not telling you give what you don't have. Only give from what you have. So he says, if you have from $5, we'll give from the $5. If you got $5 million, give from the $5 million. He says, I'm not telling you give something you don't have. I'm saying give from what you do have. And what you're able to give, even in this case, because it's by context, it's financially, that's between you and the Holy Ghost. So oh, my neighbor can give more. Stop worrying about what your neighbor can give. This is between you and the Holy Ghost. What are you supposed to give? 2 Corinthians 9. So Paul keeps going. He says, now concerning the ministering to the saints, talking about this offering, is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia, this is where Corinth was, was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet now I have sent brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready, lest if some of the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, and we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time, Titus and all those going with them, and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation so that you don't show up when everybody shows us a man the Corinthians said they can give big they show up and there's no gift ready and now y'all scrambling and you're not giving because it's a joy to give you're giving oh we said we had to give so we're going to give something now so I don't want you to give grudgingly notice what it says next but this I say he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So now he's sending Titus to preach on the grace of giving. He says, you only can give what you can give, what you have access to give. But he says, I have this, if you sow a little, you'll reap a little. If you sow a lot, 
you'll reap a lot. Now, is the amount the little or the much based on a dollar sign or whatever currency they use? No. It's based off of what they had. He says, you can't give what you don't have. So based what you have in your hand, out of what you have, if you sow a little, you'll reap a little. If you sow a lot, you'll reap a lot. And he says, don't do it because, oh, we got to give because Titus won't stop preaching this message. He says, you give because God loves a cheerful giver. He loves someone who's happy to be generous. And notice what this response is to this church that's been enriched and overflowing in grace. And God is able to make all grace. All grace. Remember, I said grace is 21 definitions. We've only looked at three to five. All grace. All of it. All of it. All that 21 definitions. All of it. Even the definitions you don't know. All of it. Abound. That means overflow. Let's examine some things we talk about. We said, where's the grace of God? It's within you. It's upon you. It's around you. They've been enriched in this grace. They've been overflowing in this grace. So when the grace in them was overflowing, it's just overflowing in that community of the Corinthian church, right? So the overflow they've experienced is just within their community of believers. They've enriched in it. Now they've been ministering grace to others, and there's a grace overflow in that one location. But Paul says, if you do this, God's going to cause all grace to abound towards you. It's just been among you and within you and around you, but there's an overflow of grace heading your way. There's a wave of grace heading your way. Notice the key word, towards you. It's been within you, it's been upon you, it's been around you, but now there's an overflow or a wave or a flood of grace. Of not just grace, all grace. The favor, the strength, the anointing, the influence, the ability, the giftings, all of it heading your way. And what would this wave or overflow of grace produce? That you always have all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. This wave, this flood of grace heading towards you has all sufficiency. You know, I like what it says in the Amplified version. Let's look at that real quick. Amplified Classic Edition. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace, every favor, and earthly blessing come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient, possessing it enough to require no aid. Listen to that. No aid or support and furnish in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. Can I dive in just a little bit? Can I provoke your faith just a little bit? No aid, no support. Meaning when your kids go to college, they don't need financial. When it comes time for you to buy a house, you don't need a loan. 
if something pops off in this nation again, you're not waiting for the government to send you a check. You already got it. No aid, no support because of the grace of God. No matter if that contract comes from that organization or that business or that city, you got it because you have an overflow of grace. That means there's more than enough grace to handle all the problems in 2023. You might say, well, pastor, all these things are happening. There's sin everywhere in America. Well, where sin, sin abounds, that much more does grace abound. So if sin increases, grace increases. Sin will not outpace the grace. Overflow of grace. There are ways of grace and goodness and glory coming to you. The grace of God. The grace of God. The grace of God. And so Paul's giving this church of Corinth an opportunity to run into an overflow of grace, a wave of grace. They've had grace, they've been enriched in it, they've overflowed it, and now there's an overflow of wave coming to them. When they step outside themselves and think about somebody else, there are some things that they wanted to handle, because Paul talks about that. We say you have more than enough to where you don't require any aid or support, and you're able to overflow to every good work. Every good work. So every good work that you want to support, you're able to support. You, you don't have to say, it's like, man, I, if I had it, I'd do it. You know, man, I wish I had something, I'd do it. You know, as Paul says in another translation in one of the other cities, that you may do everything that your faith prompts you to do. That you may do everything your faith prompts you to do. It's like, you know what? I want to build a well in that country. I'm going to go do it. I'm not going to, I may not be able to go, but I'll send a check. You know what? There's a food desert in this area of Atlanta. You know what? They should have fresh food, so I'm going to build it. Everything that your faith prompts you to do, you're able to do it because of the flood of grace. Go with me to Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28. I said there's ways of grace, glory, and goodness heading your way. Now, what we're about to read here can be called the blessing of the law or the blessing of Abraham. Now, we know Galatians 3 says you are a recipient of the blessing of Abraham because Jesus made a curse and hung on the tree for you. But also remember, Deuteronomy 28 is the old covenant. And Hebrews says you have a new covenant based on better promises. Why it's better and new? Because it has all the good of the old and all the good of the new. And so if it's good what we're about to read here, just know you got more. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you, and 
overtake you. Come on, have you ever been in the ocean when a wave overtakes you? That it overtakes you, what happens after it overtakes you? It goes ahead of you. And that's what this word means, overtake. It's going to envelop you and goes ahead of you. Because when it goes ahead of you, that means before you get there, there's already blessing. All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you and go ahead of you. What all these blessings? Blessed and power to prosper shall you be in the city. And blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading, but blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way, but flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all that you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he swore to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you, and the Lord will grant you plenty of goods, and the fruit of your body, and the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, and the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head, not the tail. You shall be above only, not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left, or to go after other gods to serve them. All that, all of it, overtaking you. That covered you and your kids. It included your health. It included what the doctor told you about this week. It included what you heard about on the news this week. It included everything going on in your business, in your community, in this city. All of these things overtaking you. So whether you find yourself downtown, you're blessed. Whether you find yourself in the suburbs, you're blessed. Whether you find yourself in the country, you're blessed. No matter where you go, you're blessed. As you go in, you're blessed. As you go out, you're blessed. Wherever you go, you are overtaken by the blessing of God. You're going into places and you're nervous. Will I come out on the other side? You're going in blessed and you're going out the other side blessed because there's a wave overtaking you. A a wave of goodness, a wave of grace, a wave of glory. It is the blessing of the Lord overtaking you. God is about to cause some waves in your life. God is about to make some waves in your life. There are waves of grace overtaking you right now, splashing down on you right now. So don't set your faith and confidence by what you hear on the news. Set your faith and confidence by what you see in the words. There are waves heading your way, overtaking you, going ahead of you, making room for you. Waves of his grace, the grace of his goodness. Doing things you can't figure out how to do on your own. Open doors for you that you can't figure out how to open on your own. Making ways for you that you can't make on your own. 
It's time to stop settling for the kiddie pool. It's time to get ocean level. That's what's coming your way and has already started. He said, focus on his goodness. Focus on the waves. Focus on his grace. That's what's for you. That wave. I said that wave. That wave. That wave is bigger than any attack. That wave is bigger than any COVID variance. That wave is bigger than any Hollywood strike. That wave is bigger than anything saying that you can't prosper or get ahead. That wave is greater than your past. That wave is greater than your limitation. That wave is greater than anything that's held your family line back. That wave is greater than all the people who says you can't make it or you can't do it. That wave is greater than all the dysfunctions in your past. That wave is greater. You've been saying I can't have a good marriage because nobody in my family has had a good marriage. That wave can take care of that. He says there's no way I can shake off this addiction because I've been addicted and my family line's been addicted. That wave is greater than the addiction. That wave is greater than any generational curse. That wave is greater than any generational pattern. That wave of grace is greater. That wave of grace is greater than any sickness, any disease, any pain, any infirmity, any virus, any variant. It's greater than any attack of hell. That wave is greater. It's greater than whatever mess you find your kids, your grandkids off in. Believing for them to come home and it seems like it gets worse and worse and worse, but there's a wave heading their way. I said, there's a wave heading their way. Our focus and our faith is in the goodness of God. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. For the Lord is good, and his mercy endures endures forever. What was that first verse we read today? For the Lord is a sun and a shield. He gives grace and glory. No good thing will he uphold or withhold from those who walk uprightly. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe it encourages you and is to help you make Jesus famous in your everyday life. We would love to be stay connected with you. So subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, our YouTube channel, download our Faith Plus app, and visit us at FCCGA.com to learn more about our ministry. If you would like to support our ministry financially, you can also do so by our website at FCCGA.com or by texting FCCGA to 73256. If you would like to submit a prayer request, you can do so at our website as well. We would love to agree with you in faith, and we know you'll receive an answer according to the Word of God. Once again, thank you for streaming this message. And remember, God has a great plan for your life and something good is going to happen to you today. So expect miracles. God bless.